you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be reading here shortly from Isaiah 53. Um, First, I wanted to say welcome. I'm Tim Sansbury. I'm one of the elders here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. It's my privilege to be opening up God's word with you this morning, those of you that are here and those of you at home. So welcome, whether you are here in body or here in spirit, or I'm there in spirit or however being there works right now for all of us. But as we open the word today, we're continuing this series on God's story and our story. And so our words today, as Dr. Lamerson has just talked to us about, are coming from the book of Isaiah, and they may be one of the most read scriptures from the Old Testament. You've probably heard them every Easter. There may not have been an Easter in the history of the church where Isaiah 53 didn't get opened and read. And we have a way of looking at Isaiah 53 from our position after Christ and looking back to it, that's really good. But one of the things as we do this God story, our story that we're going to be working on this morning as we go forward is trying to read it from back when it was written. Trying to read not like an audience member after Jesus has come, but trying to read like somebody before Jesus has come because we're going to be able to learn by getting back there how to not make the same kinds of mistakes that were made back then. So um, again, Isaiah 53, if you're there in your scripture and you want to follow along, we're going to read the full verse here. Hear the word of the Lord. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Father, as we open up this remarkable word that you gave 700 years before you were going to send Jesus, 
to live and to die and to fulfill these words in the way that we now see and recognize. Lord, as we see these words this morning, help us to open them and understand the people in our people, in this line of of redeemed covenantal people that you called into your kingdom, that struggled, that didn't understand, that looked wrongly, that didn't recognize Jesus when he came and weren't satisfied with what he did when they saw him. Lord, help us not to be like that by seeing how that happened. Open your word to us this morning that we can see, Lord, give me the right words and give all of us the right ears to hear the truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you, you like surprises? I, I don't like surprises. I don't, I don't like them at all. Something about surprises is just, I, I don't like it. When I was a little kid, I mean, this is, I've never liked surprises so far as I can remember. I, I, I early on remember being asked to make a Christmas list or a birthday list. And to me, this is great because this is an opportunity to not be surprised. I'll make a list and you'll give me what I asked for. And after a few years, I realized it wasn't working right. So I had to put not only what I did want, but I had to add some things about what I don't want. So I would start with no clothes. And still you would get that thin square box. And you shook it and it didn't rattle like Legos. And you're like, come on, what is this list even for? I don't like surprises. And for a long time, I thought that was everybody else's problem. I don't like surprises. Why don't you listen better so I don't get surprises? Now, as I got a little bit older, I was able to get to a place where it wasn't the sin of the rest of the world that I was getting surprised. It was just a personality quirk. I just don't like surprises. Some of you probably don't like surprises, and some of you think I'm crazy for not liking surprises, but that's just the way we are. But actually, I've come to realize eh, it's not that it's nobody's fault. It's actually a reflection of a really deep sin inside of me. Now, here's the part that's good is even as I confess it, this will be the place where I get to say, even if you don't like surprises, I bet you have this same problem, even if the symptoms look different. See, what's actually happening when I don't like surprises, I've realized is I'm treating gifts almost like an asset. And I've got the best idea I've got my expectations. I've got the way that it ought to be. And when it isn't that way, I'm disappointed and frustrated. And, and see, you may like surprises. You may not like surprises, but I'm guessing that all of us, no matter the symptoms, have this same problem of not liking it when our expectations aren't met. At some level, what that means is we think our expectations are the right, best expectations. They're good expectations. They ought to be fulfilled. And if the world was a good world and if God was a good God, he would fulfill our expectations. Well, see, here's one of the things that's interesting because for us and for me, this section of scripture here in Isaiah 53, it's one of those ones that usually got treated in my life like, how silly was everybody that they couldn't see Jesus? Look, it's right there in Isaiah 53. It's so clear. This is who he was. He was nothing to look at. He lived a perfect life. He had all of the sins of the people put on him. He got crushed. What was wrong with people 
that they couldn't see who Jesus was. But if we, if we take away, just for today, because we do have that story every year, but if we try to go back into God's story and see this, I want you to hear that this wasn't so clear 700 years before Jesus lived. So the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah lived in a time period where the northern kingdom had fallen, fell during his lifetime. And here he's prophesying about a time period about 150 years later when Jerusalem and the whole rest of Israel would fall. It was a bad time. Last week we heard from Solomon, if you remember, right after Solomon, the kingdoms divided. And over the history of Israel, which is our history as people grafted into God's covenant, they were represented by these kings, kings they had demanded. God said, you don't want a king. And they said, yes, we do. And so they got kings and they were represented by kings. And if you've read it recently, the history is one of just failure after failure. And part of the covenant, part of the covenantal relationship with God's people was when the king fails and the people follow him in failing, I will remove my blessings from you. The prophets, many of the words the prophets used, we have trouble with because they're speaking to these particular time periods where the prophets are saying, stop acting like this or punishment is coming. A lot of them are statements of punishment, but all of that was part of the story. The king represented the people, the people followed the king, and when the king failed and the people failed, the blessings went away. As Isaiah is teaching, he's teaching to a people whose kings have failed and the failure has become ultimate. In fact, he's warning the people, you're going to see the kingdom fall. You're going to see the kingdom fall and it's going to look like God has withdrawn himself completely from the world. And it's going to be because of the sins of his kingdom. But know this, there's hope in a coming king. There's going to be a new David, a better David, and he's going to go and defeat all of the people. He's going to set all the enemies aside. He's going to get rid of injustice. He's going to conquer. The temple will be rebuilt. God's people will dwell with him, and it's all going to be good. So this, at that time period, this section in Isaiah 53 really wouldn't have stood out in the book of Isaiah. To you and me, we might have even read it and said, what? what are you talking about, Isaiah? God, what are you talking about? Where's my glorious king? Where's my amazing king? Where's my beautiful king? And in fact, as we go through it, I want us to see how this person that we now know to be Jesus in Isaiah 53 would have broken our expectations and how that gets reflected in here. The first one in one through three just speaks to him being unimpressive in appearance. That word despise, we tend to think of it as a kind of active, like I actively, oh, I hate you. But the translation is a much, it's, it's used in English this way, but much less commonly, it's more like an ignoring kind of despise, like just a whatever. I don't even see you. It's the kind of despise that turns your head away from ugliness. That this, we want a king and he's going to be glorious, man. He's going to be fit and his armor's going to be shiny. And he's going to have a big sword. And even before he started to win, he'll be impressive. But right away, here's our hope. And he's unimpressive. He's ignored. 
instead of being outstanding. In four through nine, our expectations aren't met because this king is supposed to go and defeat injustice. There's this weird kind of double place. If you were a Hebrew in these time periods where the kings had failed and you were being persecuted and you had been taken away into slavery in Assyria or Persia, you understood it to be God's punishment on the people, but also to be unjust. And you knew God was going to come in righteousness and he was going to defeat the enemies. He was going to put them down. But in four through nine... The unjust are victorious. We don't recognize the guy who's the guy, the anointed one, the Messiah. And then not only that, but this Messiah takes all of our sin and rather than defeating all of those who are causing pain and struggle because of it, he gets defeated by them. This isn't what I expected. This isn't what we would have expected. This isn't what the people expected. The verses that we would have jumped to were the glorious and they're there. You can go read even just in in Isaiah 52 where we did our call to worship. You hear some of those strong voices. God has bared his arms. It's, It's conquering. In 10 through 12, we get a hint of victory. There it is. That's what I was looking for. Victory. I knew it. I knew there would be victory. But even there, it's not the victory that we thought. Because there in 10 through 12, how is the servant victorious? He's victorious in death. He's victorious in defeat. Even if he sees and is satisfied that his work was done, It isn't the king, the glorious king, sitting on the throne with his enemies at his feet. It's a dying victory knowing that his work was done. When we read Isaiah from before, instead of reading Isaiah from after, we may start to realize that, you know, a lot of people had reason to be upset by this Jesus. Because he didn't fulfill their expectations. He wasn't what they wanted. He was a surprise. But why was he a surprise? And see, here's the part where we can take this scripture, set ourselves into the feet of the audience, understand why Jesus was unexpected. And even the disciples didn't seem to fully get who he was until after he had died and been resurrected. Remember, even on Palm Sunday, as he's walking into Jerusalem, not just the people didn't get what was coming, but his own disciples didn't fully get what was coming. They told him to shut up when he said he was going to die. What are you talking about? Don't say things like that, Jesus. They didn't believe it. They didn't get it yet. Their expectations weren't right. They didn't hear Isaiah 53 well. Why? Because... What looked big to them is actually small. And what looks small to us is actually big. See, on earth, when Jesus died, even after his resurrection, he appeared to 500 people and then ascended. That's pretty amazing. We look back on it and we think that's a really big deal. But it really isn't that remarkable. 500 people saw a guy. A few said they saw somebody go up into heaven. In terms, of the, in terms of the kingdoms of the world, 
It didn't look spectacular right away. It took time for this to grow beyond this little tiny religion here on earth. It would have looked far more spectacular if right away at that moment, Jesus had just been another David. If the Hebrew people had gotten behind this warrior king and they had defeated the Romans and they had taken over and all the Gentiles had been subdued and the kingdoms of the world were brought into the new covenant by the work of this great new David, that would have looked bigger. But it would have been smaller. Because what does this unexpected Jesus do? He doesn't just defeat the people who are sinning. He defeats sin itself. He doesn't start a kingdom on earth in that moment. He ascends into a heavenly kingdom. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. What looks here on earth to be literal, littler, smaller, is actually much, much bigger. Bigger than we could have ever imagined. bigger than we could have ever dreamed, but not bigger than God could have dreamed because he told us about this Jesus ahead of time, that the story would be not just defeating the enemies in our lives here on earth, but defeating the great enemy death forever. That when Christ is victorious in death, that isn't falling short of our expectations for a God who would be reborn, that is better because he was resurrected and he lives forever in heaven and through his work, we can be resurrected as well. So this is how, by putting ourselves into the story, we can start to see what we can do to be careful on our own. One of the most fantastic things that I hear regularly in the church, fantastic because of the grace of God, but troubling for all of us, is those testimonies of people who were here, who were in churches, who heard the gospel, who sang the songs, who read the Bible. And for years and years and years, they saw the Jesus they expected and not the Jesus who really was. See, we can fall into this same thing of being surprised by a Jesus like this when we set before God our list fix how I feel now, fix the injustice around me now, fix the job problems now, fix the fear that has us wearing masks in church and not meeting together, fix the brokenness of coronavirus, fix the economy, fix our politics, fix our country, fix the world, fix my life. And all of those are good things and it's not wrong to be praying for those things. We ought to be praying for them. But if that is all we set before God, then what looks big to us is actually small. What God came to do in his story, that's our story, is not just, is not just to fix all those things because their time is coming. And there'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more death. There'll be no more crying and there'll be no more anger. There'll be no more war. There'll be no more injustice. But for now, we know that's not true. But right now, this suffering servant of Isaiah 53 says to all of us, right now, you are in my kingdom. And it's bigger than all of those things. 
And right now, if you feel your sin and you know this Jesus Christ, he says to you, listen, I'm bigger than that sin here on this earth. Repent, ask for forgiveness, and know that already when I died, I defeated death. And I will forgive you. And when you go to the place that you should have your eyes on, the throne in heaven, you'll stand before God not wearing the things that you cared about here, but wearing my righteousness. Because I came and lived and died as prophesied 700 years before by Isaiah. Not as a conquering king in this world, but as a suffering servant who is the king forever in the next. And if you don't know this Jesus Christ, we have a temptation like the Hebrew people before us had a temptation to look for the God we want. To look for the God we want. The Jesus you want might just be a Jesus to fix your job. Maybe you just want a Jesus to teach you how to do better. Maybe you you just want a Jesus to heal sickness or you just want a Jesus to heal broken relationships. But this Jesus said, I'm not doing it that way. Not now. That's coming. But I'll do better than that. I'll take all of those things on. I'll carry them to the cross for you. I'll forgive you for all your sins. I will make you mine and I will call you into being a part of this kingdom that we will be called also to participate in making all things new, to realize finally that unexpected Jesus as the expected Jesus, reigning on a remade earth with remade people, with all things made new. And how does God ask you to come into that kingdom? Just by repentance. And I pray right now, if you're hearing this word, whether you expect something of Jesus or Jesus is unexpected, whether you've heard this a lot or not heard it before, I pray you would hear it today. The Jesus who came and lived and died is probably not the one you expect. He's probably more than you think you need. He's probably littler here on earth but he's infinitely greater in heaven where he reigns even now. And by setting your faith in him, you, like all of us, can have your sins forgiven, can be granted eternal life, and can join every Easter looking back at Isaiah 53. And instead of saying, who is this? This isn't what I expected from our place in the story. We can say, thank you, God, for doing so much more than we ever, ever could have expected on our own.